I am speaking to you at a moment of grave crisis. I'm Jeff Turner, and this is Recall. It's a series about history. Not the ancient past, but history that's still hot to the touch. In this first season, I explore a revolutionary political movement that brought a modern democracy to the brink. You can find Recall, How to Start a Revolution, on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. There's been a lot of talk about the new COVID-19 variant of concern. So today on The Dose, we're asking, what do we need to know about Omicron? Hi, Zane. Welcome back to The Dose. Hi, Brian. Uh, Glad to be here. Glad to be talking to you, especially now knowing that the new season of Tiger King is almost upon us. <laughs> I know, I know. It, it, it's funny. I think Tiger King started off at a, a point in panic and weirdness in the world, and the Tiger King sequel just kind of came out in the same kind of ballpark. I, I think they should just stop making Tiger King, clearly, because it's ruining the pandemic altogether. Well, if we're going to have new variants, then, then uh, we're going to need to hunker down and have shows like Tiger King to watch, right? No, very true. Very true. It makes the world a little bit more laughable in that sense. So before we begin, why don't you give us a hi, my name is, tell us what you do and where you do it. So uh, I'm Zane Chagla. I'm an infectious disease physician at St. Joseph's Healthcare in Hamilton and an associate professor in the Department of Medicine at McMaster University. Zane, last week when we first heard about Omicron, there was a lot of alarm. I want to ask you what made some scientists so concerned about the Omicron variant of concern last week? Yeah, look, one of the big things we've learned in this pandemic is genomic surveillance and monitoring the evolution of this virus is is important. And there's been lots of incredible work done over the last year to kind of characterize mutations, to characterize what they'll exactly mean, to actually kind of predict this scenario like this in terms of when to put alerts up in terms of mutations. And so when uh, South Africa reported the variant, you know, everyone said, okay, it's another variant. It's, it's not of uh, any consequence. Um, but when they started listing off the mutations that have been seen with transmissibility, but have also been seen with some degree of immune escape, it got red flags up. And then when they started describing how fast it had spread in in the Gauteng region of South Africa around Johannesburg and Pretoria, that also got everyone's ears up to say, you know, this is something that is a little bit different than before uh, and seems to be outpacing Delta, which has not been shown by any other variant. Delta has been the dominant strain for quite some time. And and in fact, many other variants have not been able to hold a candle to it. So a bunch of things to unpack here. Let's take them one at a time. What does it mean that Omicron has more than 30 mutations on the spike protein compared to the strain that was used to make the vaccine? Yeah. So, you know, we talk about the strain that the original Wuhan strain, that was the original strain to use the vaccine. So that was the original spike protein. When we talked about some of the variants of concern we dealt with, you know, we talk about a few mutations, five to 10, some of them with immune escape, some of them with uh, increased transmissibility, but, you know, not a lot at any given time. And it's interesting when you actually look at the genetic tree of those alpha, beta, delta, you know, you see a gradual shift. Some mutations on top of that, again, not necessarily leading to more transmission. And then all of a sudden you see the one like alpha kind of take off and overrepresent itself very quickly. And so you kind of see a branches leading to more branches, leading to more branches, then finally a new variant emerge here. What's very unique here 
is the number of mutations all at once that have occurred on a single one that uh, that are you know obviously of concern, but how different this was from any other variant that has been described. And when you look at the genetic tree, it's interesting that Omicron actually branches off very, very close to the original SARS-CoV-2 virus, the original Wuhan strain. And the theory and, and what, what I think the scientific community may be realizing is this may have been a single person that was infected, that, you know, there was a transmission event that happened in someone that may have not had an immune system that was uh, able to clear the virus. And this person may have been developing mutations over time and then getting out into the general population as it wasn't a gradual shift. It was a new variant that had not seen or even had close relatives in the phylogenic chain prior. So just to be clear, though, the fact that there are more than 30 mutations on the spike protein compared to the Wuhan strain that, that you've been talking about, that doesn't mean that the vaccine won't work. It, and it doesn't mean that, 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 that this particular strain, the Omicron strain variant of concern, is able to get into cells you know, more quickly than another variant. Am I right? No, absolutely. So, you know, again, more mutations is not necessarily the end of, of days. You know, we've had lots of variants which have had significant number of mutations that have really not done anything, right? It's if the combination of these mutations is a, enough to allow more infectivity, if the combination of these mutations and particularly the locations may make antibodies bind less, you know, it's that which leads to the concern in terms of the variant of concern piece is that this could have potential to, uh, you know, replace or, or reinfect or, or do other things. So, you know, again, the number of mutations itself is not necessarily the issue. It's partly where these mutations are and at least the very preliminary data we're getting out of South Africa in terms of what it's doing in reality amongst a, a susceptible cohort where it seems to be infecting people relatively quickly. So it's infecting them quickly. Um, what do we know about the severity of the Omicron uh, variant of concern? Yeah, so this is this is very difficult. And, you know, the original descriptions of, of what's been happening in that region have been a large growth in cases in the college and university population. Uh, but, you know, you would see that, you know, just knowing what we know about this virus, that that population is probably not going to be severe, even if they're unvaccinated or have had no prior infections. You know, not to say that it's a benign disease there, but you wouldn't necessarily see the hospitalization ICU stays uh, represented as much in that population. There are some reports from physicians on the ground saying that patients are relatively mild, but again, it's very, very early to, to kind of make any definitive statements. It's just way too early to tell. We're looking at the tip of the iceberg in terms of clinical data, uh, and uh, and I, you know certainly there are confounders like age structures, natural immunity, and vaccines in that population where we may not have the total view of what exactly this would mean if this virus were to circulate somewhere like in Canada or Ontario. So we're bending our way back to the conversation around vaccines. You've mentioned immune escape, and a number of scientists have referred to immune evasion. Um, what does that mean? Yeah, so, you know, the major mechanism that, that is the initial kind of immune response is antibodies binding to the spike protein. Some of these mutations change the structure of the spike protein. And you, you can think about, you know, the spike protein and antibodies being like a lock and key. Um, and so, 
you know, the key is the same, uh, the antibodies that are in people's blood, but the lock has changed slightly. And, and so, you know, the question is, is, you know, is there enough of that resemblance between the lock and the key to get things to still work? Uh, or is it, you know, something where the antibodies may not bind as well, the lock and key may not fit as well. And that may lead to more breakthrough infections, it may lead to, you know, potentially more uh, transmission amongst those who have been either vaccinated or recovered from COVID-19. It may also mean some of our therapeutics like uh, monoclonal antibodies may not be as effective because they don't bind as well to the virus. You know, that's the part I think that that is uh, a little bit worrisome. It's important to know, though, that, you know, that is just the kind of initial immune response. That's the first immune response that helps with clearance and, and preventing infection. The response that, you know, protects us from getting severely ill, from having complications of COVID-19 is much more complex than that. It is T cells, it is regulation of B cells, it is natural killer cells, it is cytokines, and many other antibodies that don't bind to the spike protein. Uh, and so, you know, again, there is more there than separating out just the ability to get infected or not infected, you know, there's a larger, larger bar to clear for the uh, ability to not end up hospitalized or in the ICU or with severe illness. Uh, and again, you know, both of those things are being looked at right now in terms of what is the consequence of the degree of immune escape that is in this virus. Is it simply a bit more breakthrough infection or is it much more uh, serious disease amongst those who are vaccinated or who have antibodies from natural infection? But Zane, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the key word, the operative word that you've said several times in the answer to the last question is may. Maybe this, yeah. maybe that. There's no definitive here, right? There's no definitive. And again, our immune system is not as simple as an on-off switch. You know, there are ways for antibodies to get better enhancement. There's ways for T cells to work better. Uh, and so, yeah, I would think of it as two volume switches one for you know infection and one through severe disease uh, how much are those volume switches turned you know back to zero is it 10 percent? is it 30 percent? and both of those are going to be independent whether or not it's infection or it's severe disease in that sense so of course we don't have a lot of data yet and i'll say that but based on what we know why should unvaccinated people in particular be concerned about omicron look <laughs> Uh, I would say that, you know, the, the likelihood of the vaccines offering some protection is going to be there. You know, even if they don't work as well, they probably will offer some benefit. And again, as long as that immune effector cell, T cells, all that stuff is set up, the likelihood of people getting severely ill is probably reduced by getting vaccinated. On the counter side, if this is really a transmissible virus that is getting to places very quickly, that is going through populations very quickly, you know, the likelihood of an unvaccinated person coming into contact with COVID-19 and, and contracting it is going up and up and up by the day. Uh, and so, you know, again, you have the, the protection of our society from uh, people, you know, vaccinating, shielding unvaccinated people, especially if there's going to be breakthrough cases, you know, that protection wears down even more. And, uh, and it really means that, you know, no one is going to be safe from this virus. Uh, that personal protection from getting vaccinated is likely going to be the big thing to lead people uh, to their safety rather than necessarily, you know, relying on people around them to get vaccinated to protect them. So what do we know so far about the severity of illness uh, caused by Omicron in double vaccinated people? 
Yeah, again, very speculative. We are seeing travelers who are vaccinated return to countries with Omicron. They're reporting minimal to no symptoms, which is a good sign. But again, you know, we have to get a better sense in South Africa. There are a few vaccinated individuals that are hospitalized. Is that because of the particular vaccine they took? You know, in South Africa, they've been using the Johnson & Johnson and the mRNA vaccines. Uh, is it because of their age structures? And is it, you know, again, older people who we know here are even at risk of breakthrough infections uh, and, uh, and the complications from those breakthrough infections? Still very, very unclear. And again, we're, we're looking at a tiny, tiny pixel of the, the full picture. You know, as the next couple of weeks go on, we'll start zooming out more and more and getting the full image of this. I'm going to get personal. Uh, I got my second Pfizer vaccine in January, and I'm finally getting my booster this week. I know this is a bit of a guess, but how well am I protected against Omicron right now? There is probably some protection from vaccine that we'll see. And, and, you know, again, the fact that we're getting travelers coming back with minimal symptoms, it's a good sign. Not to say that that's everything, but it, it is something in that sense. You know, we do know people with two vaccines that have breakthrough cases with Delta. We know people with three vaccines that have breakthrough cases with Delta. And so it probably is, you know, offering some benefit, particularly a gain to the people where it counts the most people over a particular age, people with certain medical conditions. You know, if this is really a more transmissible variant, then then certainly, you know, even healthcare workers probably do need to consider getting their third dose of vaccine for the sake of uh, reducing transmission in, in settings that are congregated and close together. Um, but, you know, we also have to be very cognizant of the populations that don't have access to a first shot and what we can do to, to liberate, you know, vaccines into those settings more than anything else. Absolutely. I'm, this is a different question. You know, I've asked you to predict, but now I'm going to ask you, what are the scientific reasons that make you optimistic that the current vaccines and boosters will provide at least some protection against the new strain? You know, we've had a number of different strains in alpha, beta, gamma, delta, uh, and uh, Omicron now, at least for, you know, gamma and uh, beta, which had some degree of immune escape the vaccines still seem to work. You know, in fact, Pfizer's data in South Africa when beta was first emerging suggested that, you know, the, the, the protection was almost entirely the same as the protection against the original Wuhan strain. So, you know, we've had some success with these vaccines in, in the context of immune escape variants. Uh, and so, you know, I, there's a lot of hope there that at least, you know, again, some of those neutralizing antibodies find that those immune processes and T cells are working as we haven't seen a variant right now elude vaccines entirely. And, and, you know, it would be very, very hard for the virus to be fit enough to kind of elude everything while still being able to cause severe disease and do all the other damage that we've seen kind of prior to our vaccine era. How soon are we likely to see a new booster against Omicron? The companies are saying they're working on it. There has been work in the background on potential kind of booster antibodies to mRNA strains. So they are working on it again. You know, the, the interface of Omicron in particular is going to be important. They're going to have to do immunologic work to make sure antibody levels are appropriate and a little bit of safety data to make sure at least there's no adverse event that they're noting. But the, the expectation is sometime early in the new year that we may have access to this. That being said, 
we know that uh, novel products coming to the vaccine market take some time to manufacture. And so uh, it may be a little bit more time before it actually gets into people's arms. But there's a lot of hope in the mRNA platform that, that the work has been done already, but it can be also be applied in advance uh, to make sure something like this uh, you know, has a, a very specific booster that's developed for it. Uh, I think you said the next couple of weeks are going to be important in helping to uh, determine just how severe and how and how infectious, transmissible uh, this particular variant is. Is that what you said? Yeah. And so, you know, right now the, the labs are doing things like pseudovirus studies, so kind of setting up fake viruses uh, that have the, the spike proteins to COVID-19 uh, and using different serums. So people that are vaccinated, the two doses, three doses, people who have natural immunity, people with monoclonal antibodies, and seeing how well they neutralize those viruses. They take a little bit of time, but that will give us the first sense of if there is a, an issue with our antibodies binding to COVID-19, the, the Omicron variant. And then we're going to see epidemiologic data, led largely out of South Africa, but we are starting to see some transmission in European countries that will also probably inform a little bit of this practice going forward. And so, you know, again, the world is on alert. The world is looking at their surveillance systems and tracking cases. And so, you know, as these all get collaborated together, I think we'll get a better sense of how transmissible, how severe, and finally, again, what is the role of vaccination in, in these individuals in terms of protecting them from COVID, but also from severe disease. In the meantime, what should people do to protect themselves? The same things that we keep doing, right? You know, the, the keeping gathering small, wearing a well-fitted mask, getting vaccinated if one hasn't been vaccinated, because again, it's not necessarily going to be an off switch here. It, it will offer some protection. It may not offer optimal protection, but it will likely offer some protection, which is better than what we have right now. Um, and, uh, and, you know, again, similarly, getting tested when one has symptoms, isolating when they have symptoms, all of these things are really important. And again, it's time to double down on them. I think all of us were looking for a new reality of getting back to normal. And, I, I, you know, I don't think this derails us that much. But, you know, I, I think, again, it's we know how we've dealt with COVID-19 for the last 20 months. We can certainly slow the spread of Omicron using public health measures, using vaccines, using testing. And, you know, while we're figuring this all out, it's worth it to really make sure that, you know, the disease is limited in the community and people are identified very quickly if they do have it. And finally, there has been a lot of alarmist talk about Omicron. And I, that's mm -hmm. why I'm glad we're getting the second take. So how should we react to news about new variants? Concern is, is obviously warranted and, and again, you know, uh, putting effective concern into getting answers uh, and warning populations in terms of the impacts. But again, you know, we are in a time where we can deal with things very quickly, where scientific communities have come together very quickly, uh, and we can deal with this uh, a whole lot better. And, and we know a lot more about COVID-19 in 2020. I think, again, at the beginning of March 2020, we had difficulties with testing. We didn't know about masking. Vaccines were a year away, and we didn't have any clue on how to treat patients and, and what the clinical process was going to be like. Now we have many more of these pieces answered. We have good public health measures. We have access to rapid and PCR-based testing. A lot of people have some degree of antibodies through natural infection or vaccination or both. And, and again, you know, we are, we are well ahead of this in terms of 
understanding that has emerged and being able to track it very quickly. And so there are many differences here. And, and again, this is where that concern is, is not as high as March of 2020 when we had really nothing to go on other than case and contact management and a limited amount of testing to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Well, Dr. Zane Chagla, I want to thank you for uh, calming me down. Yeah, no, again, it's going to be uh, an interesting few weeks. Just stay calm and wait for the data. And uh, and again, continue to do the public health measures and, and get your vaccines if you're eligible. Zane, thank you for speaking with me. No worries. All the best. Take care. Bye-bye. Dr. Zane Chagla is an infectious diseases physician in Hamilton and an associate professor at McMaster University. Here's your dose of smart advice. The WHO named Omicron a variant of concern because it's infected a large number of people in a short period of time. Most of those infected were unvaccinated, though there have been breakthrough infections. The early indications are that double and triple vaccinated people have less severe infections with Omicron than those who are unvaccinated. Compared to the original Wuhan-type COVID, Omicron has more than 30 mutations on the spike protein. But that doesn't tell us how severe the new variant is. We won't know that until the next few weeks when we begin to see the results of immune testing, as well as studies in countries with large numbers of vaccinated people. Moderna and Pfizer are working on boosters that work against Omicron. They won't be ready until the new year. In the meantime, you should continue wearing a mask at indoor public places. You should limit your contact with others who might be infected. If you have symptoms of COVID, stay away from others and get tested for the coronavirus. Rapid testing should also help us contain the new variant. Above all, get fully vaccinated and get a booster as soon as you're eligible. If you have topics you'd like discussed or questions answered, tweet me at NightShiftMD, at CBC Podcasts, or at CBC White Coat using the hashtag TheDoseCBC. Email us at thedose at cbc.ca. You can find The Dose wherever you get your podcasts. If you are so motivated, rate us five stars so more people can find us. This edition of The Dose was produced by Rachel Sanders. Technical support was by Laura Antonelli. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. But if you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.